Still good morning. There we go. Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. And uh, very excited to be here this morning and also a bit anxious, to be honest. A um, couple reasons for that. This morning we start our uh, study through Galatians. So um, can't think of another book that um, excites me more to spend six months taking apart and trying to apply to our lives. So I'm very excited about that. I'm very a bit anxious about the shoes I'm feeling today. Um, and let me, let me explain that to you a little bit. See, over the last decade, I can trace God's sanctifying work in my life through about four different ways. Just the means of grace in which God has been applying his gospel to my life. One of those, probably the biggest area of that, is my beautiful bride and the way that she prays and encourages me every day to walk closer to Christ. Secondly, um, probably um, is the relationship and modeling I have with the elders of North Wake. Um, They have for years, although not perfect, but they have consistently led by example of what it means to humbly serve Christ and his bride and to do that really well. And thirdly would be y'all, the church, and in particular those men and women that Sandrine and I have been in small group with over the past decade. And there's been a ton of you that have come through our small group in that time. Because those relationships have pushed me and pushed me to walk in step with the gospel. To continue to learn it in a deeper way and apply it to my life. And brothers and sisters locking arms to make sure that's happening. Fourthly, last but not least, would be the gentle but strong preaching for a decade that I've received from our dear brother Larry. So big shoes to feel today and I feel pretty unworthy to do so but these mark corporate means of grace that God has used in my life to take the gospel and to beat it into my core into my very being because daily I'm reminded of my need and the sufficiency of Christ crucified Those relationships are huge. And if you sit in this room and you're not partaking of that, I would say you do that at your own demise. That is what the church is about. That's what we're to be about. It's the message of Galatians that no one, no man can get right with God without the cross of Christ. And no man can obey Christ without the Spirit of God empowering him to do so. You have these two main things. And it's my prayer and hope that over the next six months, those will be just, together, we'll just walk and just drive those things deep into the life of this church. So we're gonna do that. And just as an introduction to the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians, Paul writes this letter 
to a group of churches. And some of his epistles are to specific churches about specific issues going on in those churches. This letter is to a group of churches, to a region of churches in what today would be kind of central modern Turkey. And we'll talk more about that in a couple weeks as we get more into what was going on. But just know he's writing this to a group of churches who have been swept away by false teaching. You see, these false teachers were professing Christ, yet they placed the requirements of circumcision and keeping the Mosaic law on the church for salvation. And this was huge. And it undermined Paul's gospel and it undermined his authority as well. So he's writing this letter as a doctrinal correction If you ever have anybody tell you, you know, I'm not really into doctrine, then they're not really into reading their Bible because that's what the Bible is. And Paul's all about it. This book is filled with sharp, confrontational language. This letter represents Paul at his most passionate and forceful. You cannot read the first chapter of Galatians and not be knocked back on your heels. It is in your face, confrontation. And Paul's red hot passion for the purity of gospel just comes out, this justification by grace alone through faith alone is his message and he will drive it home through this book. Galatians has been said to be the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Its message is that Christ has freed us, those who believe in Christ, from the bondage of the law and the bondage of sin and has placed us in a position of freedom, of liberty. The transforming power of the cross represents a divine rescue. And that's the title of our message today. The divine rescue. The sheer emotion of this letter, I want to warn you, makes it very dangerous. Some commentators have called it a bomb filled with dynamite. It's a short, compact little argument, but it, it is filled with dynamite. Six chapters filled with explosives, filled with Paul's compassionate rage, if you will. And we can tear the book down into this outline. The overall structure of Galatians, first two chapters, gospel of grace defended. The next two chapters, three and four, the gospel of grace explained. And lastly, five and six, the gospel of grace applied. So I think it's fitting that if you're going to handle dynamite, you ought to pray. It's not something just to dive in on just not asking for a little bit of help and clarity. So let's pray together as we do that. Lord Jesus, today, we need you more than ever. Today, as we look into the first five verses of Galatians, would we see our desperate need We're reminded that we cannot do this on our own. 
So I pray, Lord Jesus, that through the feeble words that I preach, Lord, you would be exalted and that you would draw all men to yourself. That we would be reminded as the church that there is only one gospel. That we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone. And that we would live lives of worship out of such knowledge. Protect us. Protect us from wrong thinking. Protect us from wrong doctrine that would lead our lives back to bondage. Help us to live lives of freedom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us or rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul in these first two verses says, Paul, an apostle, with all the brethren who are with me. So Paul, right at the very beginning of his letter, is establishing his apostolic authority. But he's also making it very clear that the message that comes with that, the message he preaches, unites him with all the brothers that are with him. So he's not this just lone ranger ready to shoot holes in people because they're not following his message. But that the message that Paul preaches unifies. It unifies those who believe. Those brothers were probably those in Antioch with him. And he makes that very clear. But let's make no mistake. Paul is an apostle. He's a sent out one. There are two ways in the scriptures that the word apostle is used. And just for illustrative purposes, let's say one more general, kind of a small a usage of the, of the word apostle, and then more specific um, or particular, and that would be kind of the large capital A usage of apostle. And the small a were people who were um, appointed and sent out by churches or agencies of men to do specific mission mission tasks or to deliver a specific message from the churches. They were delegates of these men. If you wanted to look at it from a North Wake perspective, the 26 families that we've sent out all overseas or to the church planners we've sent out to these churches would be a small a illustration of an apostle. They They were affirmed and sent out by the church as representatives of North Wake, a congregational representative to those cities in order to preach the gospel and to start new works. It was in their apostolic ministry. But that's not what Paul is saying. 
Paul is saying, not sent from man, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ. Big A. Much more particular. This is a big deal. You see, because this usage represents a small group of men in the Bible who had seen the risen Christ and not only seen him, but been sent out by him to be his apostles. Paul is claiming his place in a select and unrepeatable group of people. He would write in Ephesians 2.20 that it was the apostles and the prophets of old that would be the foundations of the church. This was a far different job description. Paul says, an apostle not. How do you like that? You're only what? You're four words into the letter. And Paul says, not. He's making sure you don't get this wrong. That the churches of Galatia don't get this wrong. He's not coming to them with words, with letters of recommendation from a local church, from the church of Antioch or whoever. He's coming to them specifically from Christ, the living God. He doesn't want anybody to mistake that. He's making it vividly clear that he's not a congregational representative from Antioch, although he was affirmed by the elders and sent out. No, he's an apostle of Christ. Paul's authority and the authority of his message came directly from the authority of the one who sent him. And he says it right there in the first verse. Through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He was apostle of the risen Lord himself, Christ Jesus, the one who ra- and the one who raised him, God the Father. Paul's authority is by the will of God. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ by that will. Now, don't miss this. You know, we speed past. This first five verses is a salutation. He's not even into the meat of his argument or what he's gonna do for the rest of the letter. And oftentimes we speed past that to get to, oh, I wanna get to the meat. This is the meat. This is the bones that the rest of the book hang on. You have to get this one right. So let's stop for a minute and think about the implications of such apostolic authority. It means that the very words that you are holding in your hands, if this Bible that you have are the very words of Christ brought to you through his apostle. Does that possibly change the way you look and read this thing? That's the argument Paul's putting forth. You see, most Christians today treat the scriptures as a self-help book, as an encyclopedia to spiritual sayings, a place to look for a quick tweet, text message from God, a guidebook on how to live your life 
But if what Paul is saying is true, if he is an apostle not sent from man, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ, then this letter is the word of the living Christ. Not a book on how to live, but a book on how to have life. So the question has to be asked, who are you listening to? Who am I listening to on a daily basis? Do I live a life that gladly practices submission to apostolic doctrine? Nobody likes to talk that way anymore. That sounds kind of, you know, got to live under authority. But that's the point. Does your moment-to-moment life submit all ideas, habits, emotions to the examination and authority of the apostles? You know, just for illustrative purposes, we love to read the Acts 2 account of the early church and all that happened there. And the fact, I love getting to the end of that passage where it says, and God added to their numbers daily those being saved. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to see people saved and baptized every single day? And we want that and we pray for that. But we don't look to the beginning of the passage that says this in Acts 2.42. And they were continually, that's a big word, all the time, continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I believe that's why God blessed and added to their number each day because they were living that way. Why did they sell their possessions to take care of the needs of others? Because they were devoting themselves continually to the teaching of the apostles. They were changed by it. They lived differently. What are you living by? What marks your life? Paul, from the very first few words of his salutation, is forcefully challenging any other teachers or messages that might contradict the message he has preached. Why so forceful? Because nothing less than the gospel is at stake. So do you think we're very different from the churches of Galatia. Don't we need the same message? Have you, have you ever been in the position where in your small group or um, in relationships that you have where you have been called to bring about the scriptures to bear, you bring them to bear on somebody's life? You're in a relationship, they're asking for counsel and they need help and you know that you, you, you don't have anything, you're not that wise. So you're bringing to bear on their life the scriptures. And 
possibly through those discussions, you realize that this person really doesn't understand the gospel or how to apply it. Or better yet, maybe you've been the one who has needed and received such an exhortation. I know I have. What's, what tends to be your initial reaction to that? When somebody pulls you aside and says, hey, hey Jeff, I just, I see this area of your life and I want to help you bring to bear the scriptures to this issue. What's your natural reaction? Is it thankfulness? Is it willing submission to the word of God? No. At least it isn't for me. I don't know about you. Maybe it's just my prideful heart, but it tends to be more about irritation and um, a bit of offense. You know, and then at times we go somewhere like this. Of course I know the gospel. I'm saved, aren't I? Don't I go to church? Aren't I a member of the church? Haven't I been baptized? Don't I volunteer in the children's ministry? That's the trump card. (laughs) Of course I know the gospel. But herein lies the danger. We often point to works to explain our knowledge of Christ and his gospel. And in doing so, we prove Paul's main point to the Galatian church, you don't really know and understand the gospel. The message and the authority of Christ come to us through the apostle Paul and should demand our attention, our pondering, and affection. It should overwhelm all other messages that we receive on every day, the endless amounts of blogs and Facebook and Twitter and shows like Lost, Christ is speaking and we are not listening. And here is his message, verses three through five. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of our Father and God and Father to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God. Grace and peace, these words are pregnant with theological meaning. We could preach sermons on just these two words alone. The nature of our salvation is peace. It's reconciliation with God, with men, peace within. And grace is the source of that salvation. God's free, unmerited favor irrespective of any human merit or works, his loving kindness to the undeserving. Grace. This is the gospel. You can sum up these two verses that grace comes to us in peace with God through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ to the glory of God.
So let's look back at verse four. Why did Jesus Christ have to die? Because it was the will of God that grace would go out to man who were held in bondage by their sin. I got this from Tim Keller, but I think it's really true. This is the most pessimistic view of humanity and their spiritual condition than any other religion in the world. That we're dead. That we're in bondage, in slavery to our sin. I... um couldn't find an appropriate picture to use with this because the, it was so vivid. So I'm just going to share this with you. But I was struck by this as I watched the pictures from Haiti come back. I was meditating on this passage and thinking about what it means to be rescued by God himself, this divine rescue. And I was watching and looking at these pictures and I saw the devastation and pictures of people buried under Stories and stories of concrete. No possible way that they're going to dig themselves out of that. They will die there unless somebody comes and rescues them. They will die. And oftentimes we do not see our plight in the same eyes. That our sin weighs us down and crushes us in such a way that without divine rescue, without some Savior coming to deliver us, we are dead. We may be breathing, but we will die. We don't think of our own plight, our neighbor's plight, the friends and family we have, we don't think of them that way. You see, the situation is desperate. We are being crushed by our own sin and the sins of this world. and We cannot save ourselves. Pastor C.J. Mahaney explains it this way, and I couldn't rewrite this any better, so I'm just going to read it to you. In his righteous judgment, God has determined that the just penalty for sin is death. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Now, sin has been committed by man, therefore only man can atone for that sin. But here is my dilemma, and yours and and mine. I can't atone for my sin. I cannot satisfy God's righteous requirements. My disobedience condemns me before a righteous God and I'm captive to sin. It is humanly impossible for me to free myself from sin. A divine rescue is necessary. I need a savior. Verse four emphasizes that our situation is more desperate than we could ever imagine. Therefore, Jesus did not come primarily to be our teacher and to point us toward a way to live better. He did not come to be our disaster relief instructor, teaching us how to cope with disaster. 
No, that would presume that you and I had some ability to save ourselves, to dig ourselves out of the hole in which we are buried. No, God sent Jesus as a divine rescuer, a savior. And although the sin is ours, Christ gave himself over to death for our sins, bearing the penalty in our place. So although the gospel assessment of our spiritual condition is pessimistic at best, its message is not. For we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we could ever dare hope. This is better than good news. This is great news the greatest news. Listen, listen to the testimony of Scripture. We have been rescued. The prophet Isaiah 61.1 The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. You know what the beautiful thing about this is? In Luke 4, 21, Jesus says today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus read this text in the synagogue, sat down and said, this is me. This is why I've come. Colossians 1, 13 through 14, for he delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore if a man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Freedom. You have been rescued from the evil of this present age by the death of Christ. Freedom. And Paul screams through his letter, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Christ came to break that yoke to set you free from your sin and the sin of this world. He has set you free from the curse of the law and the bondage of this evil age. And Paul writes the rest of his letter to convince the Galatians that it is not Christ plus anything. It is Jesus' death and resurrection and faith alone in that that justifies you before a holy God. And with that thought, Paul ends this section with praise doxology 
to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul, an apostle, not from man or the agency of any man, but from Christ, the risen one, who went to the cross and died for you while you were yet a sinner. For the glory of God. So, Paul responds to the gospel in doxology, glory and praise. And it ought to lead our souls to respond in the same way. So, as the worship team comes up, I want us to reflect for just a minute on this very thing. That the human condition is far worse than we ever could imagine. But the gospel is more beautiful than we could dare hope for. So as you allow that to capture your heart let's stand and respond appropriately to the gospel let's pray as you stand Lord Jesus the gospel is the greatest news that that while we were dead in our sins You, God, who are rich in mercy, have made us alive in Christ. Lord Jesus, help us to live a life of freedom that you died to give us. May we not go back to slavery help us Lord Jesus for we long to worship you we praise you Father, Son and Holy Ghost